to the Mariners podcast from Sports Ethos, your place for worldwide sports coverage. I'm your host, Tino Ganasius. You can find me on Twitter at TinoJr20 and the podcast at Ethos Mariners. Today, we're going to cover the Washington Nationals, the upcoming opponent for the Mariners. Uh, Nationals will be in town Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We'll talk about or do an overview of their organization some of the fateful decisions they've made over the past couple of years that have put them in the uh, position that they're in. We'll talk uh, today's pitching matchup of Luis Castillo versus Trevor Williams. And we will end with a uh, deep dive into Jonathan Classe, who was just named to uh, the Futures game in Seattle in a couple of weeks here. He is an outfield, switch hitting outfield prospect for the Mariners who's been on the rise. A lot of fun. Uh, we'll do a deep dive into him. So Mariners, as of today, are 37 and 39, nine and a half games behind Texas in the American League West, four and a half games out of the wild card. Mariners are sporting a 24 plus 24 run differential and are four and six in the last 10 games. In yesterday's pod, we covered whether the Mariners should buy, sell, or stand pat and went through each player individually to talk about what their expectations were or what our expectations were of that player heading into the season and whether they've met them or not. Uh, Go ahead and listen to yesterday's pod for some of those uh, more individualized updates. But again, the Mariners are 37 and 39, nine and a half games out in the American League West. The Washington Nationals are 30 and 47, 17 games under 500. The Nationals are 20 games behind the Atlanta Braves in the National League East, 13 games out of the wild card, a minus 64 run differential, which is fifth worst in baseball, and are three and seven in the last 10. Nationals history is pretty interesting in some ways uh, for those who are either Um, Younger baseball fans or newer baseball fans, the Nationals used to be the Montreal Expos. The Expos were a very cool, hip team. Uh, You know, from my lifetime, my childhood, I remember Tim Raines and Andre Dawson, Marquise Grissom. It's where Randy Johnson started. Uh, The fateful Randy John or Mark Langston from the Mariners to the Expos for Randy Johnson. Brian Holman and Gene Harris was one of the more pivotal and important trades that the Mariners organization has ever made. Uh, but Montreal was cool and uh, a lot of fun to watch. I have a couple of buddies who were huge Expos fans as kids. In 1994, the Expos had the best record in baseball at 74 and 40, uh, the 650 winning percentage. Uh, they were six games up on the Atlanta Braves in the National League East when uh The strike ended that season, much to the disappointment of the fans um, and uh, those within the organization. Uh, There was a lot of momentum with that team. Delano DeShields, Marquise Grissom, Larry Walker. It was a really, really talented baseball team. Uh, The disappointment of 94 led to a lot of those players uh, being traded or uh, allowed to go elsewhere, support in Montreal dwindled for the Expos. People were very sour about uh, what happened in 94. Eventually, a team was sold to Jeffrey Loria, who is one of the, I guess, 
you could say evil owners in baseball. He's done a lot of uh, negative things for the fans, both in Montreal and in Florida. Uh, but the team was sold to Jeffrey Laurie in 99, uh, who subsequently did not reach an agreement on ballpark uh, TV or English radio broadcasts for the 2000 season. The idea was that Jeffrey Loria would negotiate a cool urban uh, ballpark in Montreal for the Expos. He did no such thing. Uh, baseball voted for contraction in 2021 and voted uh, the twin that the Twins and the Expos essentially were to cease to exist and their players would be uh, allocated and drafted by other teams. But the Twins won an injunction uh, requiring the, the team to play in the Metrodome. Uh, the Marlins owner, John Henry, bought the Red Sox the Marlins were sold to Jeffrey Loria, who who was who had owned the Expos at that time. So Henry also bought the Expos, which seems a bit shady to me, but again, it's baseball. Uh, so both the Twins and the Expos remained on the schedule for the time being. And then with contraction no longer an issue, uh, the Expos started looking for a new location. Uh, in 2020 or 2004, baseball announced that the Nationals, um, Washington Nationals would be created in 2005 and uh, would move from Montreal to Washington, D.C. So turbulent moved from Montreal. It's never pretty as a uh, Sonics fan. It was incredibly heartbreaking uh, for the Sonics to move to Oklahoma City. Um, still hard to I'm still not the NBA fan that I once was because of it I feel for the Expos fans especially considering they had such a great team there was 34 games over 500 uh only 114 games into the season that may have been their world championship year uh, so without the work stoppage uh the team may have remained in Montreal that said Montreal Expos moved to Washington, D.C. became the Nationals in 05, uh, won the NL West in 2000 or NL East, excuse me, in 2012, 2014, 16 and 17. And then uh, won a wild card bid in 19, took the NL pennant and won the World Series. So the one World Series for the organization was in 2019. If you all remember, it was Strasburg and Scherzer and Rendon and it was a, a pretty fun team to watch, uh, which brings us to 2023. Washington Nationals, one could argue, is the organization that is in the worst shape in Major League Baseball. So it's a huge fall to go from a World Series champ in 2019 to the worst organization in, in baseball. The... The Nationals currently are running a payroll of $107 million. That's their projected. $58 million of it is active, um, according to fan graphs. The Nationals are paying six players between $1 and $2.5 million. Jimer Candelario makes five. Trevor Williams was signed to a uh, $6.5 million deal over two years. And Kiebert Ruiz has an extension that kicks in next year. But the two boondoggle contracts, Albatross contracts on the Nationals books, which were two horrendous decisions, 
are Patrick Corbin has is paid $24.4 million uh, this season. Next season, he's paid $35.4 million. Uh, he was signed in 19 to an extension, which was questioned even at the time. So you have a 24 plus million dollar pitcher. We will dive deeper into Patrick Corbin in a minute, but you're paying 24 4 for currently a 4 9 record, 5.32 ERA, and a 1.61 whip. He has surrendered 115 hits in 89 and two thirds innings. That's not what they paid for. Um, that's a horrendous use of payroll. Uh, that's almost 25% of their payroll on a pitcher who really should have been DFA'd a long time ago. Uh, the other big chunk is Steven Strasburg, who is being paid $23.5 million to be on the injured list. He is paid through 2026. In 26, he will make $35 million. There are legitimate questions as to whether Steven Strasburg will ever pitch in the major leagues again. So you have, if you're a Washington Nationals fan, you this year have $47.9 million of your $107 million payroll wrapped up in two pitchers, one who is absolutely horrible and should be DFA'd and the other one who may never pitch again. Uh, So that's management mistake number one. Uh, Patrick Corbin was never great. He wasn't a Cy Young candidate. Signing him to that contract at that time seemed a bit frivolous. I think uh, Mike Rizzo, their GM, was a little drunk on um, on the, the World Series championship, but really poor decision in that case. Uh, Corbin hasn't really lost any velocity. He's just kind of lost the ability to pitch. And then Strasburg was a walking injury when he signed that contract. Um, that contract was a surprise to a lot of folks. Uh, it was almost a reward for what he's done for the organization as opposed to what they thought he could do moving forward. But I believe it was for close to $250 million. And that's not the kind of contract that you give out to someone who uh, – as a reward. So 245 over seven years was the contract that Steven Strasburg had signed. He was the World Series MVP winner in 19. And the first day of the winter meetings was when he signed this contract. So again, you have almost $48 million of your $107 million payroll wrapped up in two pitchers, one of whom is pitching and pitching as poorly as any starting pitcher in baseball and the other one who may never pitch again. The Nationals also have deferred salaries of $15 million to Max Scherzer, $3.5 million to Brad Hand, $3 million to John Lester. How many years has it been since you've heard his name? And $2 million to Rafael Soriano, who was a Mariners farmhand long, long, long time ago. So you've got $23.5 million in deferred salaries to players who will never play for the Nationals again, some of whom are retired. So obviously... They have one ring. The Mariners have none. Uh, You could argue that, certainly. But where the Nationals are right now is in a brutal, brutal place. Owing Strasburg through 26, paying deferred salaries, 20-plus million dollars in deferred salaries, having Patrick Corbin on the books. So the other two decisions that the Nationals made were, that I, I am highly critical of, were the Juan Soto trade. So in August of 22, 
um, Juan Soto, who at the time was probably a top three player in baseball. He can still argue he could, he's a top five, top three, top five player in baseball, but wanted out of Washington and Washington wanted, um, knew that they weren't going to be able to resign him once he became a free agent. Juan Soto and Josh Bell were traded to the San Diego Padres for a group of prospects, Mackenzie Gore, left-handed pitcher, Robert Hassel III, a bat first or a, a hit tool first um, corner outfielder, C.J. Abrams, athletic, powerful, fast, shortstop. Harleen Susana, at the time, 17-year-old, huge 6'6", you know, big body um, starting pitcher, right-handed, threw 100 miles an hour at 18. And Luke Voigt uh, for Josh Bell and Juan Soto. One of the biggest prospect trades uh, we've ever seen uh, Juan Soto had, I think, recently rejected a huge contract offer from the Nationals. I, I think they understood that he was probably leaving. My criticism is with the prospects that they chose. Uh, of course, hindsight is twenty twenty, but at the time, uh, the Padres were criticized for not taking Jackson Merrill in this trade. Uh, Jackson Merrill is currently the number one prospect on the Padre in the Padre system. He is a left-handed hitting shortstop. Uh, there's no reason why they couldn't have got him too. So Gore has had an up and down uh, career as a prospect at one point in time was the number one pitching prospect in baseball. He is left-handed. Uh, he currently is in the nationals rotation four and six with the three, eight, nine ERA 104 strikeouts and 85 and two thirds innings, but he's running a pretty high whip 1.41. And I think there are questions as to whether he will be anything more than a, uh, kind of a four, three, four, five starter. I think if he's a three, uh, the Nationals would be incredibly happy. To me, he looks more like a four or five. Uh, Robert Hassel, who there were questions about his power and his explosiveness even before the trade, uh, looks to be a, in my mind, kind of an Andrew Benintendi type player, uh, one who I think has some value to our organization, but should not be a major part of a trade for Juan Soto. CJ Abrams, top 10 prospect, formerly, again, athletic, very skinny, uh, could play short or second or center field for that matter, incredibly fast. The Nationals kind of put him in at shortstop, plugged him in and let him go. I think that's the right thing to do with him. Uh, but there's some, I think, identity issues with his bat. Is he going to try to hit for power? Is he trying to hit line drives and get on base with his speed? Up to this point, he's really done neither. And I think it's that is a bit concerning. Uh, so far this season, Abrams, 235, 279, 674 on base percentage. He does have seven homers and eight steals, but a 3.5% walk rate is not what you want from a player with you know, a 70 speed. Uh, they also got Harleen Susana, who is, while he throws 100 miles an hour and has a wipeout slider, he is 18, uh, an 18-year-old pitching prospect, which is essentially a lottery ticket uh, because of the, the potential for injury. And then James Wood, who is proving to be the uh, crown jewel of the trade, James Wood is left-handed. He's 6'7", 240. He is a universally recognized top five prospect in baseball. He might be the top prospect heading into uh, 
the midseason ranks. He was very smart for them to acquire. Uh, you could make the case that if Gore is a back of the rotation starter, Hassel is a Benatendi type player, Abrams never reaches his potential, that the trade was James Wood in pieces for Juan Soto. And of course, James Wood is still only in double A, so who knows? Uh, so I'm critical of the trade because I know Soto wanted out, but they didn't get the best players, um, the best, probably the second best player in the Padres organization, minor league organization at the time. Um, and they could have potentially maybe gotten two or three prospects from one team that were of higher quality than all of these except Wood. So that trade did not help the Nationals at all. And then in 21, the big head scratcher was they traded Max Scherzer at the deadline to the Dodgers, who was going to be a free agent. Uh, dealing Scherzer, I, I guess I understand. But they also traded Trey Turner, who had another year of arbitration in 22, uh, due, and would become a free agent in 23. You trade Scherzer and Trey Turner, who at the time, Scherzer was a top five pitcher in baseball. Trey Turner was probably the best shortstop and a top five fantasy player. And you trade those two players for Kiebert Ruiz, Josiah Gray, and two other prospects who are basically zeros now. How did you get a back of the rotation starter without a quality, without real plus pitches and a light hitting catcher for Trey Turner and Max Scherzer at the time the Dodgers had Michael Bush, power hitting second baseman in their organization, Bobby Miller, who was their first round pick out of Louisville, who has had a really good debut in 2023 for the Dodgers as a starting pitcher. Diego Cartaya, who is a the number one catching prospect uh, in a lot by a lot of uh prospect evaluators, uh power hitting, very traditional catcher, Ryan Pepio, who started in the Dodgers rotation this year. Andy Pajes, who's a power-hitting outfielding prospect. Miguel Vargas was in the organization, who's now their starting second baseman. And you ended up with Josiah Gray and Kiebert Ruiz. I just, you gave up your probably the best start starting pitcher of your organization's history and the best shortstop of your organization's history for Josiah Gray and Kiebert Ruiz. The hilarious part is, and I'm sure that this is not why Mike Rizzo made this trade, but at the time, Kiebert Ruiz was the number one prospect, according to Pipeline, in the Dodgers organization, and Josiah Gray was two. That said, I just I don't have any explanation as to why that would have been the package that, that he accepted. So you lost, as Nationals, as a Nationals fan, you lost... Max Scherzer, Trey Turner, and Juan Soto in the course of one year. They also lost Anthony Rendon to free agency to uh, the Angels. They lost Bryce Harper to the Phillies. Um, and you didn't get a whole lot back for it, right? So you really got a, a, a handful of prospects, the best of whom is James Wood, uh, in return for all of those players. So where does that leave them? You've got this decimated, you've no stars. You've got a system with prospects who have a lot of questions. Uh, the current lineup that the Nationals roll out is 
Lane Thomas in right field, who has pretty pronounced platoon splits. Um, he's a right-hander, so the platoon splits aren't necessarily the ones you want to see. Luis Garcia at second base, Heimer Candelario at third, Joy Manessas, DH, Corey Dickerson in left field, Kiebert Ruiz at catcher, Dominic Smith at first base, Derek Hill, Detroit Tigers cast off and New York Mets cast off in center field, and C.J. Abrams hitting ninth as the shortstop. No real hitters of note on the bench. Michael Chavis and Stone Garrett from the right side. Uh, really, that's very little offense uh, to speak of. You've got two hitters over 800 OPS, uh, Candelario at 809 and Lane Thomas at 847. Lane Thomas is probably having his career year, 295, 344, 847 OPS with 13 homers and seven steals. But it's a bit of smoke and mirrors, 5.6% walk rate. And again, he's much more effective against left-handed starters. Uh, not getting the production from Joy Manessas that they expected based on last year's stats. He is hitting 293, but he only has two home runs. And then you've got a bunch of cast-offs. You've got Derek Hill, Dominic Smith, Corey Dickerson, even Candelario is a cast-off. So ugly offense, only one player in their starting lineup or two players in their starting lineup with a walk rate above 8%. Dominic Smith at 8.3 and Heimer Candelario at 8.4. Not tremendously high strikeout percentages in their lineup. So I don't know that, um, you know, they make contact. They just don't make very good contact. Uh, But a very non-threatening offense. If Luis Castillo does not pitch well in this game, uh, that is 100% on him. Uh, he should be able to mow this lineup down uh, in tonight's game. And then pitching-wise, their rotation is Josiah Gray, Mackenzie Gore, uh, Trevor Williams, Jake Irvin, and Patrick Corbin. Uh, none of those names scare me. None of those names should scare you. Uh, it's just ugly. It, it's there are no there are no stars. There is very little upside on this team. Um, it's a wonder to me that they're only 17 games under 500. Uh, Tuesday's matchup is Jake Irvin against Brian Wu. And then Wednesday's matchup is Patrick Corbin against Logan Gilbert. So uh, the Mariners should sweep. And I know that sounds silly saying that a major league team should sweep another major league team. But realistically, these two teams are the, – the, the Nationals are way overmatched. And that's not – being biased towards the Mariners. That's looking at this as objectively as I possibly can. Uh, Trevor Williams is going in this game today. He signed a two-year $13 million contract with the Mets in the or Nats in the offseason coming from the Mets. He's 31 years old, 6'3, 235, 4-4 four four ERA with a with a four and four record. Four and four record with a four one four ERA and a one three seven whip. Uh, 80 hits in 76 innings, 24 walks, 58 strikeouts. So he doesn't walk a ton of batters, 7.3%. He also does not strike out a ton at 17.6%. Lefties hit him a bit better, 293, 345, 816. Uh, Righties are 241, 299, and a 767 uh, OPS. He throws his fastball at 90 miles an hour, 47% of the time. 15% 15% changeup at 83, 14% sinker at 88, and 14% slider at 82. So 
Fastball changeup, you can expect that to left-handed hitters, sinker, slider. He does throw a curveball and a sweeper 8.4% of the time, but it's negligible. League hits 4% or 86% zone contact rate against Trevor Williams, which is 4% over league average, and an 18.9% whiff rate versus 24.8% league average. So major league hitters make more contact with his pitches in the zone. Major league hitters whiff less against Trevor Williams than league average. So you're talking about a below average major league starter. That's why they were able to sign him for $6.5 million. Uh, in theory, the Mariners should be able to tee off against Trevor Williams in this in this game. And he's facing Luis Castillo, who is four and six with a two eight nine ERA and a one zero five whip. As we all know, 101 strikeouts, 87 in the third innings, dominates against right-handers, 161 average versus lefty, a 244 average. Uh one thing that I looked at, I wanted to see Castillo's pitch mix in previous years. Because I know just based on watching that he throws a lot more four seamers and sliders than he did in Cincinnati. But I was pretty surprised by what I found in 2020. Luis Castillo actually led with the changeup at 30%. Uh, he now throws his changeup 15.6%. So about half the time he leads with his four seamer at 45% now, uh, in 2020, he threw his sinker 25% of the time. He throws it 19% of the time now. In 2020, he threw his slider 17.7% of the time. He now throws it 20. So really, and then the four-seamer in 20 was 28.5%. So his four-seamer, he throws about 17% more than he used to. And he certainly leads with the four-seamer now for the Mariners, whereas he led with his changeup in Cincinnati in 2020, and he threw a sinker almost as much as his changeup. So he went from being sinker, or excuse me, changeup, and then sinker fastball in 2020 with 18% slider to really leading with his four-seamer and then throwing sinker, slider, and changeup pretty equally. Um it's just interesting to see that he was a changeup first pitcher with the kind of uh, forcing fastball that he's that he has. Uh, clearly, that was a Cincinnati organizational decision. Um, some some organizations like the Nationals, like the Reds at that time, uh, I just think are either behind the times or making decisions that that don't make a ton of sense. So, I'm sure the Mariners are glad that Luis Castillo is theirs. Um, Leads with the four-seamer now, led with the changeup in 2020. I just found that interesting. So the matchup is Castillo against Trevor Williams tonight. Um, should be a lot of fun. Jonathan Classe was named to the Futures game roster uh, today. He is a really fun, interesting prospect of the Mariners. Um so Classe is 21 years old. He is 5'9", 100, listed at 150 pounds. I'm guessing he's closer to 170 or 180 now. Uh, he's a switch hitter. He was seen as a speed first switch hitter 
um, that should stay in center, but without a ton of speed or power to speak of. So his scouting grade from pipeline uh, originally was a 45 power in a 70 run. So a player that could hit uh, was going to smack the ball around the park a little bit and try to run. Uh, And then in 2022, he hit 13 home runs. Uh, That's coupled with 55 stolen bases. So the speed remained. The power started to come. This was in uh, single A Modesto. And then this season, he's gone absolutely bonkers. So in single A and double A, in 256 at-bats, Jonathan Classe has 16 doubles, 16 home runs, 42 stolen bases, triple slash of 246, 365, 885 OPS, and a 15% walk rate with a 31.6% K rate. So he's really arrived out of nowhere to hit for power. Obviously, you know, your body changes at that age. He's put on some weight. He's learning how to generate a lot more power. Uh, he still has maintained the speed, the 70 grade speed that he had. Um, he's not a super instinctive center fielder. Uh, he may end up being a left fielder on a team with a, a better defensive center fielder, but I think he can play center. Uh, I've talked about Classe as a trade chip uh, from the Mariners uh, to acquire a, a DH or a bat, big bat for the current team. Um, his, so here's an example of how, you know, people will cite the Mariners minor league rankings and say their minor leagues are terrible. They can't make a trade. There's nobody to trade. When rankings were made before the season started, Class A was seen as a, you know, speed hit tool guy who could play center with very little power to speak of. And he's shown that he can hit for a ton of power with 16 home runs in 256 uh, at-bats so far this season. Even if he is a 15 to 20 home run player, he's going to steal bases and he can hit. So where he was ranked before this season started is not where he's going to be ranked in the midseason top 100s. I believe Jonathan Classe is a top 100 prospect. It would not surprise me to see him in some folks' top 50. He's ascended that much. He came into the season the Mariners' number 11 prospect, according to Pipeline, number 12, according to Baseball Prospectus, and number 16, according to Fangraphs. And again, he's going to end up, I, I believe he will be a top five Mariners prospect, maybe even top three Uh and a top 50 prospect in, on some lists at the, at midseason. So he's a prospect the Mariners could trade. You're going to see his name come up in rumors a ton. Um, he also, at 21, if he continues to produce, could potentially be the Mariners' starting left fielder in 2024. If uh, Jared Kelnick continues to scuffle against breaking pitches, I think Class A might eventually um, see an opportunity to win a job. If not... Uh, opening day of 24, certainly at midseason with 24. So he's a prospect to keep an eye on. Uh, power speed guy, super fun. 70 grade speed is always fun to watch. Uh, switch hitter and a prospect that is on the rise. Um, again, a very good example of uh, why evaluating um, farm systems based on a rank, on a subjective rank, 
um, by a company is not always the best way to look at a, a team's player development system. Um, but again, Jonathan Classe is fun. Looking forward to hopefully seeing him in a Mariners uniform. So th- that will conclude uh, today's Mariners cast. Um, tomorrow we will come back and talk a bit about uh, tonight's game, talk about tomorrow's pitching matchup. I appreciate you listening uh, to the Mariners cast. Again, we're presented by Sports Ethos. Go online, check out all the other great podcasts from Sports Ethos. Lots of fun fantasy uh, football packages coming down down the road. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Tino Junior Twenty. The podcast at Ethos Mariners E T H O S M A R I N E R S. Enjoy that game series against the Nationals. This is a get well series. Uh, we the Mariners will welcome the Tampa Bay Rays uh, for a big weekend series. So rest up. Get your W's, lick your wounds. Uh, We will talk to you tomorrow. Take care. Peace.